Countrywide on ABC Radio. Support businesses are going to go to the wall just like dairy farmers will. We've seen the whole agricultural community come out. Once people leave communities, they don't. They generally don't return. Countrywide. Don't worry about me. Go and speak to your farmers. We're already losing businesses. Get out there and speak to your farmers. farmers you gumbler, Countrywide. The politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. Hello there, Jane McNaughton with you today on Countrywide. I'm looking forward to spending the next half an hour with you. Coming up on the show today, the big issue for agriculture this week remains Australia's response to the foot and mouth disease outbreak in Indonesia. I'll bring you some of the key stories on that from the past seven days. According to the latest census data, Australian agriculture increased in value to $70.9 billion in the 2021-22 year. And Australians are being asked to fill their boots with avocados as oversupply has driven prices to a record low. What's on your dinner plate? Countrywide, the politics of food and farming. The threat of a foot and mouth disease incursion in Australia as Indonesia struggles with an outbreak has led to the country's farm lobby calling for more long-term funding of Australia's biosecurity systems. National Farmers Federation Vice President David Johinke says a model needs to be introduced that can scale up resources when needed, including staffing levels for increased inspections of mail packages and returning travellers. At the moment we've seen biosecurity funding basically stay stagnant for numerous years and only recently have we seen an escalation or a step up in both the demand and also the funding for biosecurity um, to be put in place and also resourced appropriately. What we're calling for is a model that is both scalable, so it does um, accommodate when we are getting an increase of either tourists or goods coming into Australia that it has the capacity to check and monitor what is coming to Australia for compliance, but then also has some resourcing so when we do have urgent situations it can deploy that additional staff or um, look at those situations where emergency, uh, either tracing or tracking can occur. If we are able to get a model in place for funding that is able to scale up when necessary, where do you think it needs to target? What are the main priorities? Well, like anything, it's both the source, the the port access or the, the point of entry into Australia, and then also what are we doing with the goods when they are in Australia to make sure that they're complying. So that question really does de- depend on what we're trying to track, um, both in goods terms and then also what are we inspecting for. Um, once again, Australia doesn't have a lot of different pest diseases or uh, viruses that are out there, and it's about making sure we've got numerous levels of uh, either monitoring for the different um, uh, aspects that we're trying to monitor for but then also the reporting and ensuring that we've got the right staffing levels for that to occur so in many ways um, it's ensuring that we we've got the blanket approach to say um, this is the standard we want to attempt to have uh, but then have that ability to if it is um, making sure that all tourists go over a footpath that's got that capacity there as well. Because the scale involved in ramping up these sort of measures must be huge. Well, this is one of some of the issues of going, um, how do we deploy what we're currently seeing? It's never been done before. How do we ensure that they're staffed appropriately? Um, And then also people are uh, trained to that skill level to be able to have those appropriate discussions and understand what's going on. So it's not something that you can click your fingers on overnight, but also we want to make sure that it's uh, effective and affordable too. Um, Noting that uh, what's at risk is extremely valuable to Australia and this farming community and then also um, we want to make sure that everyone's contributing to it because it's not all just about agricultural based products. You th- see things like fire ant as well um, is a classic example that's also a social um, aspect as well to this. 
What would you like to hear from from the government? Have you had discussions with the federal government on this and, and what you're calling for here? Oh, this isn't a new call. We've actually been discussing this for a, a long time um, with previous governments and different models have come out but none of them have been adopted. So we also believe that uh, even through this crisis, some may call it, that we're going through at the moment, we should be taking the opportunity to just reaffirm the fundamentals that this model or whatever model is being um, thought about needs to be put into place so that we have got contingencies and we have got those resources there going forward because it's it's when we have these discussions and people are running around trying to um, either throw money at patching up a problem that shouldn't have to be done. It should already have those resources there and we should be already inspecting to the level that we are seeing now. So when we're talking about FMD, I guess, is it too little too late when it comes to FMD in itself in in getting prepared and ramping up these funding levels? Is this something that government should have had in place years ago? Uh, That's a really hard one to to answer because the proof in the pudding will be if we do get an incursion. However, saying that what's being put into place now is positive and what we're seeing is also that re-engagement in the discussion around what funding should look like. So... I'd say the main thing is we're having the right discussions now. Um, You can't change history. However, um, I don't want us to ever be in this position again. David Joe Hinkie, Vice President of the National Farmers Federation, speaking there with Olivia Carver. And in light of the unprecedented media attention on the foot and mouth disease threat, Australian cattle, sheep and lamb prices have been falling sharply, with the National Trade Lamb Indicator dropping 20% in the last two weeks. The benchmark for cattle prices, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, hit a record high in January and has now fallen to more than $3 a kilo in carcass weight. Tim McRae from the online sale yards platform Auctions Plus says unfortunately fears around foot and mouth disease are already affecting prices. Confidence is a funny thing and um, I think in all markets, whether it's a stock market or the housing market and particularly the livestock market, when confidence leaves the market, um, it can certainly have a big impact on prices. Um, you know, when we look at the cattle market particularly, which seems to be grabbing the headlines for what a, a fallout from an FMD incursion could be, um, you know, the confidence, the buyer confidence has just dissipated over the last three or four weeks. Um, you know, matches very much with the the headlines that have been getting rightfully attributed to FMD. Um, And, you know, I think when that confidence improves, I think when producers start to see that the measures being taken to control the disease are commensurate with what the potential impact could be for them, I think some of that confidence will return. In your time watching markets, have you ever seen confidence drop like this for something that wasn't weather-related? Um. Gee, if I maybe went back to when USBSC in 2003 was it was a shock to the market. I mean, this is a, you know, without downplaying the potential of it, it is a shock and it's what happens when fear enters a market, rightfully so in this case, for what the impact could be. Gee, there was a slight time there when the GFC hit and we saw an Aussie dollar go from close to parity to 66 cents. Um, we saw a lot of impact on that through the exporting sector come back into the production sector. but. Now, really a decline of what we've seen in the EYC over the last three months is more what you would see over 12 months when confidence leaves an industry when drought returns. And for those producers who bought young cattle at the start of the year, potentially for record money, how damaging is this slide for them? And I see the heavy steer national indicator is almost below $4 a kilo. Yeah, look, I'm one of those. I bought some cattle at the start of the year. 
had been chasing cattle for 12 months at the right price. Um, and I think that's really, when we look at the fundamentals of the market, nothing has changed. All the same markets are still open to Australian beef. All the same, you know, seasonal conditions, if anything, at this time of year are better than what we've seen, um, particularly with Queensland getting those rains in May. So, you know, the fundamentals of the market have not changed. Confidence has evaporated because of the risk of this very devastating disease. Um, I think for those producers who are leaning over fences, looking at cattle that are now worth, um, you know, the EYCI's dropped 26% in the last six months, that, you know, cattle would be worth less than what they purchased them for. Um, you know, I think fortunately they have the flexibility of the season to hold and keep adding weight to those cattle. Um, you know, and I, I still remember a, a wise old head telling me that weight beats rates every time, you know, and, and whilst there's feed in those paddocks, um, I think there's a, a very good chance and with confidence, hopefully return to the market that those animals will still make a positive return for producers. So when it comes to the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator for 2022, you would think that we've seen the ceiling, but where is the floor, do you think, Tim McRae? Gee, I, um, I put a pretty pessimistic forecast out there that the, in January that when the, the market was at close to 1,200, that I said it would be 875 by the end of spring. Now, I want to be clear that it wasn't because of this factor that I had it there. Um, it was along the lines of, you know, drier conditions and things returning to normal. I think seasonal conditions haven't returned to normal. The third wet winter in a lot of places is not normal. Um, you know, if confidence returns to the market and buyers particularly, for those young cattle, which I think will return, there's a lot of area in Western New South Wales that uh, just needs to dry out a little bit. And I think our producers will stock it pretty hard. I think we still have an EYCI back up in four figures, um, you know, by the end of spring, early summer. Tim McRae, Market Analyst with Auctions Plus, speaking to Matt Bran. Now, since the incursion of foot and mouth disease in Indonesia, there has been a great deal of focus on how Australia's industry is being protected. But I want to take you overseas. It's a huge destination for many of Australia's cattle, with figures from industry body Meat and Livestock Australia showing it's Australia's largest live cattle trading partner, accounting for approximately 45% of the market share. But domestic cattle production in Indonesia couldn't be more different than here in Australia. And for their population, because of religious reasons and socioeconomic circumstances, a single beast is worth more than just a protein source. It's their livelihood. Lucy Cooper with this report. Foot and mouth disease has thrust Indonesian agriculture into the spotlight. But do we really know what production is like in a country made up of over 17,000 islands? Around 6.5 million smallholders produce around 90% of Indonesia's domestic beef supply. But what does that actually mean? You know, there's many different classification systems um, for smallholders. So in a country like Indonesia, say for cattle, smallholder cattle systems in Indonesia, you can look at the enterprise type. So you can have cow-calf systems or some smallholders specialise just in fattening. Uh, you can look at the feeding system. So, you know, parts of Indonesia like Eastern Java, for example, have quite an intensive, um, you know, stall feeding type system. Uh, obviously not as intensive as commercial farming, but, you know, they, they keep their cattle and they cut and carry the forages to feed them every day. Many farmers across other parts of Indonesia still use a free-ranging or, or tethered system. And you can also look at the breeds. So the local local breeds, the barley cattle, but also some smallholders have sort of crossbreeds and, and um, genetic improvement. So there's lots of different classifications, but central to smallholder production is really this sort of low-input, low-output system. That's Dr Anna Akello, 
She is leading the Global Burden of Animal Disease Initiative for Indonesia. Dr Okello says the timing of the project, which began late last year, was a pure coincidence with the foot and mouth disease outbreak. It is a big coincidence and I think it's an excellent opportunity for you know, a global program like GBADS to, to look at the impact of animal disease in real time. Um, so at the moment, you know, a lot of the um, focus is on controlling the disease, but obviously, you know, a big question is looking at the economic um, and societal impact of a disease like foot and mouth. Um, that's part of, you know, what, what GBADS is trying to do in general, trying to ascertain what, what are the burdens of these diseases. Um, and the Indonesia case study we're hoping will be able to provide some of that real-time um, input and, and advice and, and data. For, so it is, it's an excellent opportunity. Cattle are their own currency in Indonesia. They help to pay off debts, but also allow some children to go to school. We tend to think of, of livestock as, as a source of meat and milk, for example, like we keep them and we eat them, and that's why people keep livestock. But in countries like Indonesia, there's really so many reasons that, that people are keeping these livestock and they're not even to eat sometimes, you know. Sometimes these animals, particularly cattle, they're too valuable to, to even, you know, sell and eat them. So they're large, chunky assets that are easily liquefied. So people, if you need money in a hurry for debt repayments, for example, if someone in the family gets sick and they need hospital or, or medicine costs, they can sell their livestock. Um, so in this way, you know, animals like cows or, or cattle that can be both an asset and also an insurance policy, which is quite a unique financial tool. If we don't understand it and recognise, um, for example, these linkages between livestock ownership and children in school, then it's really easy for us to underestimate the impact of a disease such as foot and mouth on, on smallholder farmers. Ever since news of the foot and mouth outbreak in Bali reached our shores, the Australian cattle industry has been on high alert. But how are producers in Indonesia dealing with the outbreak? It was very slow in the beginning uh, in in central Java and other islands before Bali uh, because uh, at that time the government really wanted to make sure what type of FMD, you know, because they wanted to uh, find out what's the exact uh, vaccine to use. But when it get uh, it got into Bali, I think uh, the government responded uh, very quickly because they know what to do and and at the moment all over Indonesia the government uh, isolate uh, infected areas uh, started uh, vaccination program and cure a lot of infected uh, cattle around. Dahala Nudin is a professor of animal science with the University of Mataram in Lombok, Indonesia. He says the number of recovered cattle is significantly higher than that of cold cattle. More than 366,000 cattle infected and more than 140,000 already recovered. Uh, mortality of uh, around 2,500 cattle uh, and some uh, close to 4,000 cattle culled. So actually the mortality rate is very, very low, uh, less than uh, 2%. Uh, and the recovery rate is very high. At the moment, uh, it's uh, more than 90% from the figure. So what advice is being provided to cattle producers in Indonesia? Ensure that farmers don't panic because this uh, disease can be treated. And we're trying to uh, get the farmers to feed them well, to clean the cages, you know, provide enough drinking water and things like that. In response to the outbreak, the Australian government announced an extra $14 million to bolster the defence against FMD. 
Part of this was $5 million for a technical support package for Indonesia, Timor-Leste and Papua New Guinea to manage livestock disease. So is this enough support for the cattle industry in Indonesia? It's not just the money, but uh, we would like to also uh, ask Australian government to help us with um, technical things like, for example, you have a very good uh, laboratory in Geelong you know, that can produce a lot of um, uh, FMD virus because we don't have the facility in Indonesia. Despite the high number of recovered cattle in the country, Professor Dahalanudin says with the industry devastated by the disease, there is no sight of a foot and mouth disease free future. It's devastating because um, when we got the disease, we got the FMD, uh, they cannot sell cattle at, at the right price and a lot of Panic selling, by, especially from the smallholders. They have to sell the cattle because they worry that the cattle will die very quickly, very soon. So they have to sell and sometimes they got only half price. It, it, it's not just infecting the farmers, but also impacting other sectors like uh, uh, restaurants, hotels that usually have uh, consume a lot of beef. And, and a lot of people are reluctant to eat beef. Uh, in the last uh, several months because they worried that the virus can get into humans. The government always say to, to the community that uh, it doesn't affect humans. You know, it took a very long time uh, to get Indonesia free of FMD in the past. And I think it's going to be the same now. It will take several years before we can have a, a free uh, FMD uh, in Indonesia. Daha Ludin, Professor of Animal Science with the University of Mataram, Indonesia, finishing that report from Lucy Cooper. From the top end to Tassie, countrywide on ABC Radio. Jamie Norton here with you today. According to the latest census data, Australian agriculture increased in value to $70.9 billion in the 2020-21 year. In particular, there were major increases in crop value and production after drought-breaking rain across large parts of the country. ABS Agriculture Statistics Program Director Sarah Kiley runs Megan Hughes through those figures. But the key takeaway for 2021 for Australian agriculture is it's been a, a fantastic year. So there were approximately um, 87,000 uh, farmers across Australia who completed their agricultural census form for, for us. And they're able to, to tell us that the value of Australian agriculture has risen 17% uh, over the last year to $71 billion. Wow. And that's, that's off the back of those... Yeah, favourable growing conditions and a better access to water for irrigation has been the key drivers of that. So talk me through some of the specific data when it comes to the amount of farms and the amount of hectares being used for land. How does that compare to the previous year? So the total number of Australian farmers has remained fairly steady. So in, in about that 100,000 farming businesses mark. Um, but the farmland is in Australia has increased about 3%, up to 387 million hectares of agricultural land. Uh, and of that, uh, the majority is actually used for, for grazing, sitting at 332 million hectares. So going into cropping as well, how mm. has crop production changed compared to last year? So many farmers reported uh, for 2021 that crop yields are, are reaching those sort of once-in-a-lifetime levels and there were records broken for many uh, regional areas for, for key commodities. And that's all the, also the total value uh, of crops uh, go up uh, 4% over this last year. 
um, it's been ideal conditions for, for wheat production uh, as well. So that's risen to 32 million tonnes or up 120% over that last year. 120% just for wheat? Mm-hmm. Yes, wheat production, that's right. What about things like barley and canola? Okay, and so if we're looking at barley, uh, the value of barley rose by 24% uh, to $3.7 billion, uh, and the production is also up that 45% mark from the previous year. And the value of canola also rose by 140, 114% uh, to $2.9 billion. What about with livestock? How has mm. the value of livestock changed in a year? Yeah, so for livestock, uh, it was a little bit more mixed. Um, so I guess the, the improved seasonal conditions and the better pastures uh, provided more of an opportunity for farmers to rebuild their herds and, and their flock. Um, so the value of livestock products um, remained largely steady um, with a strong result for eggs. So that was actually up 28% to $1.1 billion, and that offset some of the falls in wool, which was down 4%, uh, and milk, uh, which was also down 3%. And what about the numbers of livestock? Have they remained steady or gone up? They've gone up uh, slightly. So as of the 30th of June 2021, Australia had approximately uh, 68 million sheep and lamb, so that was up 7%. Um, We're looking at 22 million uh, beef cattle, that was up 4%. Uh, And for pigs, uh, we're looking at an increase of 14%, up to 2.6 million. Some of the other data released today was about water use on farm. And as you mentioned earlier, there's been some drought-breaking rain in in some areas across Australia. How has uh, water use changed? So that increased rainfall obviously resulted in businesses increasing um, their irrigated cropping. So that's probably one of the key takeaways there. So we saw farmers um, irrigating approximately 1.9 million hectares, and that was up 28% uh, from, from the previous year. Um, and breaking that down a little bit more, we saw approximately 7.8 million megalitres of, of water was applied to crops and pastures uh, and 1.4 million megalitres applied to pastures and cereals um, that were fed off um, over this last year. Overall, what sort of picture mm. would you say this paints of Australian agriculture? It tells the story of um, farmers who've really capitalised on the, the change in the conditions um, coming out of, out of drought over the last few, few years. So they've really taken the opportunity um, of that improved um, weather, uh, that increased rainfall, um, and uh, you know, been really smart about how they're using those conditions to increase their productivity and, and profitability. ABS Agriculture Statistics Program Director Sarah Kiley speaking to Megan Hughes. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio. If you love avocados, then you'll want to listen in closely now. A report by Agricultural Finance Rabobank has found that Australian growers this year will produce 22 avocados per Australian. That's up 26% on last year's figures. The oversupply has driven avocado prices to a record low, which has been welcomed by consumers, but represents a serious challenge for growers who are already struggling with rising input costs and labour shortages. Report author Pia Piggott says Australia is on target to produce 124,000 tonnes of avocados this year, an increase of 30,000 tonnes from the previous year. Simple demand and supply economics tell us that when the supply increases, 
the price will drop. So prices this year are 47% below the five-year average as well. And this production is expected to continue for the next five years. Can you tell us a bit more about the reasons behind the huge avalanche of avocados that we're seeing? So this is just the beginning of a large increase in the amount of hectares of avocado plants that are mature and producing. So from 2017 to 2019, uh, each year during that period, over a thousand hectares of avocado trees were planted and those trees are still to mature and still to produce avocados. So this year we've seen a large increase, particularly in WA, the acreage maturing there. And for the next few years, we're going to see that increase all across Australia. We've also seen uh, in WA at least good conditions, growing conditions, and also it's been an on year. So in WA, they have alternate bearing where the production is good one year, bad the next. And all those factors have contributed to the large production this year. How is avocado consumption trending in Australia and globally? Yeah, so globally it's increasing over time. There's definitely more consumption forecasts, particularly in Asia and in America. In Australia, households are consuming about 30% more avocados. So they're increasing the amount that they buy and they're paying about 30% less for it. So it's a good deal for consumers. They can buy more and spend less. So is there a light at the end of the tunnel for all those growers who have already invested a lot of money into planting avocado trees? It is good for producers. We've seen this large demand increase on the back of this oversupply and we'll continue to see that increase until Australia becomes maybe one of the uh, the top consumers in the world for avocados. And then on the export side, Just this year alone, we've increased our export volumes 350%. So over that amount, and particularly to Singapore, Hong Kong and Malaysia. So we can continue exporting to those countries, but we can also improve our export access to countries like Thailand and India and also the Middle East and Japan. And when we do that, then we can really push out more volumes in the export market. And that will be much better for producers. It sounds like the industry is definitely working on expanding those export markets, but who will be some of the competitors that are also growing a lot of avocados? So there's growing competition in the Asian market. We have South America and Mexico. They're increasing their production dramatically and they are increasing their market diversification. So while they normally send most of their produce to Europe and uh, North America, they're also diversifying into Asia. And we also have New Zealand who are exporting more into Asian markets as well. So there's definitely increased competition. Rabobank Associate Analyst Pia Piggott. And while the industry works on forging new export markets, growers are struggling with the oversupply on top of increased input costs and labour shortages. Jim Kochi grows avocados at Atherton in far north Queensland and says returns to growers are the lowest they've been in around 20 years. It has been more volatile this year than I've ever seen. You know, growers could might return 15 or $18 a tray or $10 a tray, you know, which brings, you know, count 20, it brings it down to like 20 cents a piece. But transport costs and packing costs and growing costs on that. So current prices are below cost of production. 
do you hear about people dumping a lot more avocados than usual this year? Uh, with the really low prices, of the, what we call class ones, which is the next grade down from premium, they will struggle to clear in the markets and class twos definitely really struggle with that stuff. Still edible, uh, even that struggles to find a market and so that third level of fruit, if it can't go to process, will also get dumped. It's really going to be a matter of finding more people to eat them, isn't it? Yes, or people to eat just one or two more. Those that are lovers of avocado, just pick up one more. Those that haven't got the bug yet, have a go at it. Avocado grower Jim Koshy finishing that story from Tanya Murphy. That's all we've got time for today on Countrywide. If you're hankering for some more rural stories, head online to abc.net.au forward slash rural.